Everyone have a good 4th of July? Um, I, uh, I've wonderfully celebrated the 4th of July here, but previous to that was with my family in Oaxaca, Mexico. Got the shirt for All People's Oaxaca, our church there. And we went on a team with All People's South Bay, my family and I, with 36 adults and 34 kids. Somebody asked me if I was going to see Mission Impossible. I said, I already lived it. already did it. <laughs> and I wanted you to see some images of all people's Oaxaca. Our sister church, a church this church started, uh, has a building now in the historic part of Oaxaca City. So you're going to get to see a video right now. It's just going to be behind me while I'm talking. of just wa- The great sign, they had just painted this building in correlation with the colors you have to use in the historic district there in Oaxaca. And uh, the main uh, stadium is actually right down this street. And you're going to see them turn into the church building now. There's one of my kids. And then you'll see Frankie, um, our pastor there, Frankie and Chelsea, left this church a little, a little under two years ago to go plant All People's Oaxaca. Beautiful church building, beautiful church family. And as we were there, a couple highlights for me was the church put on an evangelistic five-hour worship concert in the main city square, kind of like the, the kind of the Balboa Park of Oaxaca. And you can see this massive stage, two semis, LED wall, smoke, lights. There was a Christian mariachi band that preached the gospel. We need to get that at our Jubilee night, by the way. That would be awesome. And um, you can see Frankie up there uh, in his orange shirt, looking like a real stage preacher. Looks great up there, preaching on this stage. And Patrick Toth, also sent out from this church. I can tell you a year later, Patrick's Spanish is phenomenal. And he is a fire breather in Spanish, preaching. And then you can see uh, Frankie's house there. I just thought you might like to see where they live. Have a little view of the city there. Am I having a microphone issue again? Did I just get a glitch? Well, it's kind of been one of those days, but I'm loud. <laughs> so we'll keep going. Uh, in Oaxaca, one of the highlights to see there is a very old tree. No one really knows how old it is. It might be 2,000. I heard 6,000. Heard another guy said 8,000. But it's called the Tule tree. And the locals call it the tree of life. The locals call it the tree of life. And they call it that because they claim you can see little animals in the, in the tree uh, bark and the trunk there. And they kind of have all these myths and stories about these animals. And I thought it was really cool. And I wondered, what is it like to live in a community where there's something so old? You know, like a landmark that, that really shapes the worldview and the culture and it got me thinking about trees. I've seen some interesting trees in my day traveling. I'm sure you've had two. Maybe you've seen the Northern California redwoods. Anybody seen those? Beautiful old trees. Got an applause for that. Um, maybe you've noticed as you're traveling around the United States how the in and out is spreading throughout our country. And these palm trees are kind of, uh, you know, everywhere. They're in Nashville now. They have in and out palm trees, right? You can see them there. Um, I've been to the Middle East. I've seen the cedars of Lebanon, these very old trees on, the, on a hillside there, just beautiful to see those that are still remaining. In the town of my birth in Texas, there was actually an old oak tree that a guy had planted and donated to the city. And every year at Christmas time, people would gather and sing Christmas carols, and they would light the tree. And it was a wonderful community event. And a psychologist actually did some work on trees in the 1950s about trees and our self-concept. So how we view trees and, and how we view ourselves. And it was called the BAUM test, B-A-U-M. That's the German word for tree. 
And what they determined was they had people in emotional pain actually draw a picture of a tree, unprompted, and then they would tell you your personality after looking at your tree. I don't know how accurate that was, but um, pretty interesting. So we are connected to trees. The Bible has a lot of trees in it, doesn't it? There's the tree of life in the book of Genesis. Then we see at the end of the Bible in Revelation, there's the, the leaves of the trees that are healing for the nations. God speaks to Abram under the oak tree, Genesis chapter 18. Jesus has a little incident with the fig tree, right? In Matthew 21, I don't know if that was the same fig tree that Jonah dealt with or not, but there's a lot about fig trees in the Bible. And, and I was listening when Hannah Weathered was speaking on Mother's Day at this church about trees. Did anyone, did anyone get a chance to hear that message on Mother's Day? A very powerful message on Elijah under the broom tree. And as Hannah was speaking, I was, I was really feeling like I was receiving from God. And all of a sudden, during the message, my mind started to drift. I know that's not happening to anyone in here right now. It's not close enough to lunch. But my mind started to drift, and, and I started to feel the presence of the Lord. I thought, God, are you wanting to speak something to me right now? And I looked on stage, and while Hannah was speaking, kind of superimposed over the stage, the Lord spoke to me through a vision. And what I saw on the stage of this church was a tree. It was a beautiful tree, a big, wide tree with branches and birds and fruit. I tried to get uh, one of those AI apps to draw it this week. I couldn't figure it out. It just didn't look, look quite right. But in the branches of the tree was written a word. And that word was agape. That word was agape. And I thought, that's a word for this church. That's a word for me, there's something that God wants to say to us about agape. You might not be familiar with the word. It's a word that I, that I grew up knowing about, but honestly, probably hadn't really thought about it in 10 years, like really seriously, you know, studied it or looked into it. And I want to explore this word agape and what it might mean for us as we start a season in the life of this church, focusing on our relationships. So today I want to speak to you from the subject, the agape tree. I want to speak to you from the subject, the agape tree. Let's find this term, first of all. What is agape? It's obviously not an English word. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and then the New Testament by Jesus and his disciples in the early church, mostly Greek, a little Aramaic. And this is a Greek word. Agape is a Greek word. And the, the different authors of the New Testament that told about the life of Jesus in the early church all emphasized different things. So there's one author that talked about agape more than anyone else. And that was the Apostle John. So just to give you some statistics here for you uh, that are interested in learning more about the Bible, John mentions agape love in his gospel 37 times. And that's more than any of the other gospels put together. First John, which is one of the shortest books of the Bible, uses the term 28 times. And to give you an idea, uh, Paul, who wrote, you know, the uh, letters to the early church, Romans and all that, he uses agape 28 times as well, but it takes him Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians to do so. So this is a major emphasis for this leader, the apostle John. And it's John who at the end of the Bible, he writes to the, the church in Ephesus and he says, you have forsaken your first agape. So there's something about, about agape that John was trying to speak to us 
And it brings us to our key scripture this morning, 1 John 4, 19. Easy scripture to remember. It'll be on the screen behind me. We love because he first loved us. Love being the English translation of this word, agape. Let's read this together. This is short enough for us all to read together, I think. Okay. We love because he first loved us. I like what this theologian had to say about defining this word for God's unconditional love, this word agape. This is what he said. Agape is a divine love that gives and gives and gives, even if it's never responded to, thanked, or acknowledged. You could say that agape is a love that isn't based on response, but on decision to keep on loving, regardless of a recipient's response or lack of response. Because agape is such an unconditional love, I call it high-level love. Bring me a higher love. (laughs) Taking a cue from Robert there, bringing a song into the sermon. It's a higher love. It's a high-level love. It's the highest, most noble, purest form of love that exists. This is agape. Renowned theologian C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and he was describing, okay, here are the different words in the original language that are used for love in the Bible and what they might mean, one of those being agape. I think they're behind me on the screen. The first one is storge, and that's a word that means like familial love, community love, empathy, like the warmth that we feel in a family or a community. The other one is philos, right? That's affection and brotherly love, or perhaps deep friendship as well. Then there's eros, which is romantic and erotic love. And then finally, the highest form of love, the unconditional love of God, that is the word agape. You know, I think it's interesting with these these four kinds of love is how easy it is to define ourselves according to the wrong love. Once we get this idea that God has a unique kind of love, a unique, unconditional, sacrificial, generous love that he wants to pour into our life, it supersedes these other loves in our life. Not that they're not important, but we can't define ourselves according to how our community feels about us, right? right. We can't define ourselves like we, um, many people define themselves according to their sexuality. No, God wants to, us to define ourselves according to his unconditional love. So there's three things I want to point out today in regards to agape love. The first one is agape is our identity. Agape is our identity. My second point is this. Agape is to be our atmosphere. It's to be our atmosphere as followers of Jesus Christ. And number three is agape is a habit. It's a habit we have to cultivate in our life. Let's, let's look at these three points. But first, let's read this passage in its entirety. 1 John chapter 4. You can turn there with me. Uh, we're actually going to do a deep dive on the word agape in this passage, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. So what I'm going to do is where the Bible in the English version says love, I'm going to substitute the original word agape. Beloved, or those that have been agape, basically. Let us agape one another. For agape is from God. And whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape does not know God because God is agape. In this, the agape 
was of God made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is agape. Not that we have agape God, but that he has agape us. And he has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Those that have been agape, if God so agape us, we also ought to agape one another. No one has ever seen God. If we agape one another, God abides in us, and his agape is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. So we have come to know and believe that the agape that God has for us. Oh, I missed a line here. So we have come to know and believe that the agape that God has for us. God is agape. And whoever abides in agape abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is agape perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in agape, but perfect agape casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in agape. We agape because he first agaped us. If anyone says, I agape God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not agape his brother whom he cannot see, cannot agape God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have for him. Whoever agapes God must also agape his brother. Are you getting the idea that agape is a big deal to God? Right? This is how we receive God's love. This is how we receive love from one another. Point one, agape is our identity. Agape is our identity. I love how John starts this passage with this word, the word being beloved. He writes to the church and he says, beloved. He writes to the church and he says, to those that have been agape. There's a preacher that really impacted my life. I got to meet him in person one time, but I listened to him a lot in my 20s and and in my college years. And his name was Mike Bickle. And he was kind of a, his, his father, I think, had been a professional boxer, right? So he was kind of a strong guy, big, big hands. And he would look at his church and he'd say, beloved. You know, but he'd say it in a really like intense way. And I never quite got it. I was like, why does he keep calling people beloved? I get it now. God's agape is what fuels us. God's agape is what changes us. God's agape is part of our identity. One of the things that really impacted me as a young leader was moving to San Diego 15 years ago. When we uh, were from the, the Bible Belt in Texas, pastors did not really meet together. In a, in a familial, prayerful, connected way. I mean, there were meetings, but things felt more competitive. Um, it, was, it was just not like same team kind of mentality. And so when we were welcomed after coming to San Diego to plan the church by a Presbyterian church planning group, I could tell that God was doing something special. And we'd sit at these round tables and talk with these other leaders that were starting churches about the same time as all people's church. And they would talk about God's work in their lives. People would share testimonies. We would pray for each other. People would cry. They'd share personal things. It was very open and vulnerable. And then throughout the course of the the day, typically someone would say this phrase. They would say this phrase to someone else in the group. They'd say this, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to preach the gospel to yourself, brother. You know, at 26, 27, that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I thought, these guys are in here preaching the gospel to themselves. I'm, I'm a real Christian. I'm not preaching the gospel on the street. Right? 
I'm being, being honest with you guys. Can we be honest in church? Okay. So I was like, what are, what are we preaching the gospel to ourselves in here for? We need to go out there and preach the gospel. Man, I have been humbled. You know what I've seen? The leaders that are healthy, the influencers that are healthy, the believers that are healthy are those that never lose the idea that they are God's beloved. That God so agape the world that he sent his one and only son, not as a concept, not just for the people out there, for the people in here, for, for the person, you know, sitting next to you. Like, we need to know that we are God's beloved. We need to know that we have received God's unconditional love. We need to know that we are agape. Being agape is, is part of our identity. Maybe I'll, I'll share it with you this way. Has anyone here ever been in an elevator with a three-year-old? Raise your hand. The Lord sees your hands. Okay, so... Um, What do they do? They push all the buttons, right? Okay. I mean, I have arbitrated more fights amongst my kid about ele- elevator buttons than I can think of most topics. I mean, they can really go after these elevator buttons. And, you know, you see an elf and he hits all the buttons, right? Um, and, and there's something about relationships that pushes our buttons. And, you know, my three-year-old, he looks for that little red button. That one that you're not supposed to touch that calls the fire department? Yeah, the big red button. And relationships can touch the big red button in our lives. They can touch our identity button. Man, when relationships are out of sorts, we feel pain. We can, we can lose a sense of who we are. We can lose our groundedness. Because God's actually designed us to define ourselves in a way through our community. Relationships are so important to us. But when there's brokenness in our relationships, it hits that identity button. And those alarms go off. And we feel pain. And we want to run. Or we want to fight. Or we want to do whatever our coping mechanism is. Let me tell you what God's agape love is like. It's like that beautiful plastic cover over that identity button. (laughs) Your three-year-old can't get to it. (laughs) Yeah, like things can hurt. They can bump us. Of course they can Like, relationships are not easy. But when we understand that we are God's beloved, we're empowered to have healthy relationships with other people. It's really hard to have successful relationships when you don't know your identity. You're you're bouncing off everybody else, trying to get them to tell you who you are. That's not their job. It's his job. Amen? So to be agape is part of identity. I love how John starts. He says, beloved. Those that have been agape. Man, if, if you don't feel that, if you've never felt that, like, it's not just a concept. It's a filling of the Holy Spirit in your heart. God actually wants you to feel his love. One, one preacher in church history said it this way, I felt God's liquid love running over my body, running over my heart, running over my life. I want to pray for you at the end of this service that you'd feel the love of God. Agape is our identity. Agape is to be our atmosphere. Just a couple of call-outs from this passage in 1 John 4. We should agape one another. We should abide in agape. And then agape is just not used for our love for God, right? But our love for each other. 
And then John uses this really interesting word about the kinds of relationships, the kinds of people that we're going to need to learn agape in. And he uses this word, brother. Let me tell you something. I have two brothers. It can be hard to agape in those kinds of relationships. Right? Why? Because brothers grow up and you're constantly preparing your, comparing yourselves. Like who's taller? Who's stronger? Right? And there's this whole thing that brothers go to. And, and mature relationships like that, what you learn how to do is serve one another with your strengths. But that can really be a challenging process. I mean, I have, I have three sons now. They're all brothers. You know, I also have a daughter. But in terms of the brothers, like, I mean, you should have seen what broke out at my uh, dinner table two nights ago over the game of life, over the board game. Wow. What a metaphor. Okay, so... But when brothers get together and dwell in unity, what does the Bible say? God commands his blessing. It's a beautiful thing. You feel it as a parent. You're like, oh, it's so wonderful when they support each other, when they encourage one another. And that's the atmosphere of agape. You know, there's, there's not a community on earth that's like the church. I mean, maybe there used to be, but where else do people get together that don't really know each other? Some of them. Some of them do. But, like, there's probably people in this room you don't know. They look different than you from different parts of town. They have different jobs, different ages, you know, maybe some different interests. And they all get together because they know one person, Jesus Christ. Like, I think of Paul's birthday party. My friend Paul over here, a wonderful party that he threw for, you know, himself and his friends threw. And we're able to attend and meet all these people. But he was there. Like, we could see him. Yeah, Jesus is here, but we can't even see him. And we're all gathered together. What makes that unique? What makes that powerful? What makes that special? It's agape. It's the atmosphere of who we are. You know, um, I have allergies. So every morning I, I look at an app that tells me the AQI, tells me the air quality index around my house. And what I see is John writing the church at Ephesus and saying, you've forsaken your first agape. I think God cares about our agape quality index. That's what he's looking at when he looks at our church. It's a story from a couple weeks ago, being in Oaxaca, staying at a hotel with our 36 adults and 34 kids, and we eat breakfast together every morning. And this was one of those awesome hotel breakfasts. I mean, home run. Croissant course, fruit course, Eggs, another croissant course. It was great. It was great. But, you know, you're there, banquet tables. You're sitting with people you don't know that well. You know, I was one of the few, like, non-Spanish speakers on the trip. I mean, I talked a little bit, but, like, a lot of people are speaking in Spanish. You know, feeling a little out of place. Haven't had my first, second, or third cup of coffee yet. You know, my kids are just waking up. It's a little clunky. And so you're having breakfast, and, you know, Jonathan Lara, the pastor of All People South Bay, is making some announcements. And we're all kind of doing this each morning as a community. And each morning, the same people are serving our team breakfast. And so they're helping us get our coffee or, uh, you know, chocolate milk, whatever the kids need. And they're watching us interact. So the last morning we're there, a couple mornings in, Jonathan needs to share an announcement with the team. And so we're all sitting at these banquet-style tables, this little hotel, and Jonathan gets up to start talking with the team. Well, all of a sudden, this fellow that's been serving us all week, this, you know, he's a waiter, he walks up to Jonathan and says, excuse me, may I have the microphone? <laughs> kind of interesting. Have you ever had, you know, 
a server need the microphone at your like rehearsal dinner or anything? Probably not, you know, but it's a mission trip. So Jonathan goes for it. Okay. So here's a picture. Um, snapped a picture of this moment. So this guy says this, he said, I've been serving your community all week. I've been watching you interact. I've been watching you interact with your kids. I've been listening to what you talk about. I speak English. This is all in English. Uh, and he began to share a couple things. And then he said, because of how I've observed you with each other, I have decided to become a Christian. Unprompted. Nobody shared Jesus with him. That's the power of agape. That is the quality of relationship that God has empowered us to bring to the world. We focus on loving the world. Let's go love our neighbor. Let's go love the world. Sure, that's, that's important. But what First John teaches us is the world's going to love God by our love for each other. What's our AQI? You tracking with me? Yeah, this is the atmosphere that we're supposed to bring to our community. And, you know, I was thinking about this relational 360. What's a 360? It's a, it's a tool you use to evaluate your performance, right? People weigh in. You might look at different aspects of leadership or your personal life. I thought there's a lot of different standards that people use to evaluate whether their relationships are going well. I wrote down a couple. Some people, their relationships are all about fulfillment. Do I feel fulfilled? And this relationship. Do I feel fulfilled in my marriage? Or am I connected with my kids? Maybe it's about connectedness. Other people, it's about networking. You know, is this getting me further in my career or my goal or my net worth or whatever? Other people, their relationships are about fun. You know, am, am I in the in crowd? And then am I at the after party? And then am I at the after after party? Right? They're thinking that way. Other people, you know, relationships are mostly about loyalty, like longevity, being in a relationship over time. And I thought, you know, those are all good things. But they all fall short of God's standard. God says it this way. If we can't agape each other, we can't agape him. This is a higher love. This is a higher standard that God's calling us to plant at this church. 1 John 2.15, I want to make it very clear. I'm actually not preaching an easy message today. I'm not preaching, hey, just love everyone, you know, do, let everyone do what they want. This is what, this is what God also says in 1 John. He says, he warns us not to agape the world. This isn't us about lowering our standards. This is about raising our personal standards of love so that people around us can be changed. Amen? Agape is our identity. Agape is our uh, atmosphere that we're called to carry. Finally, agape, it's a habit. I mean, every moment in a conversation, every Every conversation in that relationship, you're creating the relationship that you have. Would you agree with me when I say that? Okay, so agape is a constant habit. It's a constant commitment. It's a constant sowing that you're working in to your relationships. I like this translation of this verse, 1 John 4:11. Delightfully loved ones, he loved us with such a tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. This is a habit. This is a way of life. It's a way of being. It's who you are in your relationships, not just the concept. The early church actually, they enculturated this into their calendar. They would, they would meet regularly for things they called agape feasts. 
and they would share meals. I mean, a lot like a life group, but, but way longer, and uh, have communion. They'd share testimony. Sometimes there'd be a, a, a message, and people's lives were changed and transformed by these agape feasts. And they actually got a little out of control. They had to rein them in. They stopped them for a while. But what you see throughout church history is when people really touch the heart of God, they end up resurrecting that practice. That's what that's the Moravians did. That's what John and Charles Wesley did in their English Methodist movement. There was, a, there was a desire to cultivate deeper relationships before the Lord. I just had a friend, at, uh, he did an event in Philadelphia on July 4th, and he called America back to the love feast of the communion table. That is so powerful. Man, our nation needs that kind of unity. Amen? Yeah. So how do you plant the tree of agape in your life. It's just like this prophetic image of this tree. How do you plant it in your life? Well, as I was praying for this message, God spoke to me and said, I've anointed you to pluck out and tear down as well as plant something in this morning. So there's two things we got to tear out of our lives if we're going to really walk in agape. And it's our different approaches to relationships that are not godly. So here's the first one. When we approach relationships with our guard up, it's easy to get hurt in relationships. It's easy to shut our hearts off. And when we do that time and time again, without fresh healing from God, we put our heart, we put our guards up. And what does that do? That causes us to plant the tree of apathy in our lives. Come disconnected. We get fake. It's about our own comfort. It's about protecting ourselves. It's about, you know, maybe, maybe on, the, on the lighter side, you know, maybe some Netflix or just, you know, whatever comforts you can bring into your life to make your own world, your own life, your own, that tree of anxiety. And the core belief here, it's not something you need to be healed from. It's actually something you need to repent from. It's selfishness. It's the belief that your relationships in your life are for you. That people are there to serve you rather than for you to serve them. By the way, talk about servants. Billy and Halinka House, who uh, are here today, I just want to honor them. Love you guys so much as they are leading up all people's church discipleship movement in Hawaii. The tree of apathy, the tree of anxiety, man, if, that's, if you find yourself in that place, if that diagnosis fits, di- di- diagnosis fits uh, here's a verse for you, John 15, 13. Greater agape has no one than this, that someone lays his life down for his friends. So we got the tree of apathy, we got the tree of anxiety, and the tree of agape. Let's put that picture up of that tree in Oaxaca behind me, that big old tree. I mean, think about that tree that's been there thousands of years, giving life, providing a covering, giving meaning to a community. That's God's vision for the church. Psalm 92, verse 10, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. God wants to plant us, and he wants us to flourish. How will we do that? Well, it starts with a different core belief. It starts with a different seed. That's a seed of self-sacrifice. That's a a seed of servanthood. That's a seed of generosity. That's... That's looking at the people in your life and asking the Lord, God, how have you called me to serve these people? 
that doesn't mean you're subserving it to them. Maybe a question you could ask is, God, how can I serve powerfully the relationships in my life? That'll plant the tree of agape in your life. That'll plant it in this church. It's a habit. It's something you have to sow. But if you sow, you will reap. Agape is to be the atmosphere of our homes, our lives, and our church. Agape is our identity, and it's a habit. Delightfully loved ones, if you loved us with such a tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. This is our way of life as God's people. Amen? Let's take communion together.